0: Welcome to Writers' Forum, a weekly presentation of WRBH. I'm Sherry Alexander, and we want to welcome our guest today, T. Adelaide Martin, author of Miss Ella of Commander's Palace. Welcome to Writers' Forum, T. I'm
1: tickled to come down the street and see (laughs) y'all.
0: I love the book. Um, Before we start talking about your mom that you wrote the book about, um, talk. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you're the co-proprietor with your cousin Lolly Brennan yeah. of Commanders, for about 20 years now.
1: Yeah. Uh, yes. But it's it's a family thing. There's lots of us involved. You know, my mom and my aunt Dottie are next door, and my cousin Brad helps out. And the team at Commanders is amazing. But I'm also involved with Cafe Adelaide, named for my aunt Adelaide. Um, as, as you are. As I am. Yes. Um, Cafe Adelaide and the Swizzle Stick Bar down at the Lowe's Hotel, and then a little further down in the French Quarter, we have Sobu. Uh, and it's um, very much a cocktail-centric but wonderful restaurant based on uh, Louisiana street food and, and a fun spot. Now, there's a couple of things I'm involved in.
0: Well, you, you studied at Tulane, and you studied business. You went away for a while, but you came back when your mom needed you.
1: Yes. Uh, she actually discouraged me from being in the restaurant business. And I was um, had gotten an MBA at Tulane and was off in the uh, real estate business and some other things after that. And then I got a, a call one day that she was going to have heart surgery the next day. And on that drive home, I said, what the heck am I doing? And I uh, decided to come home and work with mom and the family. And I have never regretted it for a moment, but was happy to have had those other experiences.
0: And you co-wrote a couple three books before this book. You wrote one with... Um, Jamie Shannon, yes. Commander's Kitchen.
1: Yes, that 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 book is um, very close to my heart, and um, there's so much in the book. It's not just a cookbook. It, you know, whenever people were asking us to do this book about mom, we always felt like we'd already written so much of it. And another funny thing that mom would say is, just, nobody wants to, to read a book about me. They've already read it all, and the time's picking in. But anyway, <laughs> Um but then the next book I do with our present and 14-year chef, Tori McPhail, called Commander's Wild Side because it's based on out in the wild and hunting and fishing and um, all those wonderful things. And then the next book is called In the Land of Cocktails. I do with my cousin Lally Brennan, and I consider it my greatest business accomplishment because I got somebody to pay me to write about cocktails.
0: So. And you're the cocktail chicks, you <laughs> called yourself. This. And I noticed Tim Trappelin, he did some wonderful illustrations. He did the illustrations
1: week. in there, and it, it, it's it's a really fun celebratory book, and it was meant for the public, not for bartenders. So there's not any pictures of cocktails, but there's drawings, fabulous Tim Trappelin, drawings, and stories about each cocktail, either the history of it or something funny that happened, and hopefully makes just layman, you know, people want to go home and make a great cocktail, just it, like it worked cook. on me. I really got, <laughs> what drinks do you me. like? <laughs>
0: Well, we're going to talk about you. Okay. Yeah. Um, before we uh, go into the book itself, though, you've won several awards, and I, uh, this disclaimer, I just retired recently from Loyola, and wasn't weren't, weren't you an honorary
1: doctorate? Didn't oh, you get... I was. I, I did the commencement speech in '05, right before Katrina. Should we call you Dr. T? Or Please is it, not. Okay, just to... <laughs> Please not. And then just last weekend, I actually accepted the honorary doctorate for my mother.
0: Oh, which very nice.
1: Really, really special. Uh, actually, the only award I've ever gotten before her, so it was sort of fun. <laughs> congratulations! But Loyola is a big deal to me, and Father Wiles is a dear friend, and so many people there, and that was really special. I worked real hard on that speech.
0: Well, congratulations, and also we just would mention you—you love Mardi Gras, and it's not a secret. You're not in a secret crew. No, you admit you're yes in Iris. <laughs> I am
1: a proud member of, for thirty something, five years or whatever of Iris. It's my favorite day of the year. It's just fabulous. People have, you you know, I mean, it's so local and so family oriented and I'm up there with my buddies and we're certainly having a good time. But I make, I never, I throw so many beads, it's ridiculous. I might as well just drive down the street and throw money. But I make, throw big packs of beads and I don't throw unless I look you in the eye and make a connection and then you're so, and then I blow a kiss and you blow a kiss and, you know, go do that a thousand times a day and tell me that's not fun. So, and of course, it's almost always I'm knocking on wood, perfect weather for Iris, too. And, you know, nobody's drunk yet. You know, it's just, it's fabulous and very celebratory.
0: Well, we'll look for you next year at this, at the right time. I'll be there. Now, your mom was one of six kids. Yes. She was born in New Orleans. Usually we don't talk about people's siblings, but I think in this case, since they all play such a part in Commander's family or the restaurant business, Her oldest brother was Owen. Correct. And then Adelaide, that you're named after, who was quite the character. Yes, yes. (laughs) Very stylish. Yes. Um, John. Yes. Then your mom, Ella, and Dickie and Dottie. Exactly. And there's a bunch of cousins, what, 13?
1: Well, that's my generation. There's about 13 of us. Yeah. Their children. Yeah. Of those six siblings. But
0: they also, many of them come up in
1: in your story here. God, yes. The whole family. We're just one big Family and
0: well, you have one of the things you talk about is having a Brennan on duty. Um, there's always somebody in the restaurant. Yeah, yep. And I, whenever I go there, there's somebody walking around. Sometimes yep. it's you or Lolly right. or somebody. Yep. Um, I, I'm old enough to remember your mom walking around. Absolutely,
1: saying um, hello to us. Well, we we happen to love doing it, and so that's really a commander's thing. I'm not, I'm here. Lolly's there right now. You know. Um. So.
0: Now, now your mom started. First of all, something very interesting that I didn't know till I read this. Your mom isn't really much of a cook. No.
1: Um she, you know, honestly never had time, but she, you know, knows so much about food and 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 has written recipes and menus since she was 18 years old. So, um and she reads everything, everything. And she
0: eats everything. everything. I mean, she she's she's a real uh she's not an absentee yes. person in yeah. any no. Hurricane Ella, some people call that, it. That's
1: it. That was a Don's beginning story. <laughs> but she... There's a, actually a documentary was made, after, you know, based oh, on fabulous. the book. fabulous, yeah. And Emerald says in the documentary, he said, you know, couldn't believe that she doesn't unknown a pan, I don't think, but has the best taste buds he's ever encountered. So it's true. And
0: wine also. Absolutely. She, she's just a real wine expert. She's
1: traveled all around. Yeah, this is so interesting. When we opened Mr. B's, um, it was 1979... And we did the first, she did, the first all-American wine list in America, which was an even bigger deal in New Orleans. We'd always been such great friends with all the French winemakers who, sure. when they came to America, of course, wanted to come to New Orleans. And um, that was like industry headline news, to do an American-only California. wine list. Yeah, but that sounds like nothing now. Well, that was completely unusual then. You know, it was all, you know, French wine and Chianti or whatever the heck. And she really got to be close to Robert Mondavi, and he was such an ambassador for wine, and she believed it, hook, line, and sinker, and, and she was right. Time has proven. But uh, I was always pushing things like that.
0: Well, Ella started out working for Owen
1: yes, uh, down
0: in um, several places, but most notably Brennan's, right? um, which became, it was quite a center for celebrities and...
1: Um, breakfast. Right. Breakfast at Brennan's. Well, as you know, you've read the book, the Brennan's that you're talking about. Owen was dead before that even opened. So uh, the, uh, she first worked for him at the Absinthe House, which was uh, he and his bar were really with his dad at the time. And then they bought the restaurant across the street, which was called Vieux Carré, and they renamed it Brennan's Vieux Carré. And uh, then he died, Owen, the older brother, before. Very young. Yeah, 45, before they even moved into Brennan's on Royal Street.
0: I get the feeling from what you've written that it really has stayed with her. I mean, she took his death very, very hard. The
1: whole family did. He was just this, you know, raconteur and character. And he, um, but he was, you know, very visionary. And w- as far as, you know, they were a Irish family here in New Orleans. and There was a lot of people to support, and he was trying to figure out how. And he wanted to have a good time in the process. So um, I think most of my family is still the same way. But she learned so much from him. And just was sort of a natural leader and sort of, you know, just kept going after that, even though when he dropped dead, the banks pulled the loan. And it was really a tough, tough time.
0: Well, and shortly after that, we won't go into the detail because you don't go into the detail. But there was, a, we, we all know it from reading the newspaper, <laughs> um, there was a split in the family. And your mother um, actually didn't go back to that restaurant until after... 40 years.
1: Yeah, yeah. It went bankrupt. And then my cousin Ralph uh, was so happy. Uh, bought it with a other partner. Just a
0: couple of years ago. Yeah.
1: And so we're thrilled. And it's, you know, back in good form. And But, but yeah, she ran the restaurant. Um, I forget the exact number of years, 18 or so, uh, something like that. And it took, took grand success with her siblings. And then Owen's wife um, and children... Uh, his wife decided, because they were very young, um, decided she wanted to take over. And, um, you know, the way the shares of stock were, that's the way it went. But the interesting thing is that my mother never talked about this. You can look at any of our books. You can scour the times picking. I have. And she never spoke about it. I'm a journalist. Spoke I, would, about I wanted to know. Yeah. So the day that she went back, you know, Ralph's like, come on, everybody in the family, come down and see the restaurant before it opens. And we were all so excited we went. And, so of course, there's some reporters there. And um, I think it was our friend Todd Price, I think, if I recall. And we were sitting there with the entire family, but just us. And he's interviewing my mom. And he says, so, Miss Ella, um, tell me why it is that you left here. And she said, well, as I recall, I was fired. And it, all of us looked at each other like, oh, my God. That's mm-hmm. the first time she said that in public. And so I knew that I'd be able to talk about it just a little bit. We're just we're like every other family in America. This you know, every now and then some folks that don't but, get along. But
0: you're kind of local, at least, celebrities in New Orleans, so we all, we want to know all the dirt, you yeah. know.
1: Well, we roll our eyes at the word celebrity and at the word dirt, you know. But <laughs> anyway, um, it, it is what it is. There was a disagreement, and but I think, um, truth be told, it was it turned out to be a good thing that, that she and her siblings moved on and they went, I think, to even greater heights at Commander's Palace. Oh, well, Commanders,
0: we can't say enough about Commanders. But, uh, Before your family took it over in the 70s, um, it started out actually as a saloon. And the guy's name was Commander. He wasn't a commander, which I always thought he was like a ship
1: person. Yes. Emil Commander and his brother, uh, Peter. Um, And it was always told to us. And when we bought it and on the plaque out front and everything else you ever saw said that it was opened in 1880. It was not. And my cousin Lally and I decided to finally admit that. For someone else, really took us to task. But it was 1893, not that
0: And then it you had a little oops. Yeah, we just decided to have
1: fun with it and called it oops and named a you know good cocktail after it. But anyway, um, yes, they went over there. It had when they went and really bought it in '69. Um, happened to have been my ninth birthday, and we're sitting there, my mom, at Commanders. We used to go there all you know regularly. And she said, well, I got a birthday present for you today. I'm like, what? And she goes, we bought this place today. And it just happened to be that day. I've always considered it a grand present but um, to the whole family. But they really didn't go work there until they left Brennan's day-to-day in 74. And, I mean, it was a train wreck of a restaurant. You know, it was a mess.
0: And it was painted beige on the outside.
1: It was indeed. Was it yes. Adelaide's idea? to Adelaide and her fantastic uh, designer, decorator, dear friend, uh, Charlie Gresham, who many people in New Orleans will remember, just the grandest of characters, I have to tell you. And those two were always, you know, always trying to make the restaurants look great on the small amount of money that they would be given. And they had this idea that if they painted it this, you know, bright turquoise blue color, that it would really send a message to people. And But I mean to tell you, every house in the neighborhood was a tasteful white or beige. And then bada-bing. <laughs> they still <you> know? are. <laughs> yeah. A little more color, but, but you're you're exactly right. So, but now... Uh, instead of horrified, you know, you can go to the paint store and buy Commander's blue paint, you know, with our friends at Helm. So
0: oh, it's magnificent. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it I'm just a, works. I'm a newly certified tour
1: guide. That's awesome. And, I am too, actually. The, oh, really? The old time certified, yes.
0: <laughs> well, the, then you know, I mean, the tourists just love it. That they say, oh, it's just, they love to look at it.
1: One of the shocking things is mom, one of mom's jokes used, used to be, don't open a restaurant across from a cemetery, you don't get a lot of walk-in traffic. <laughs> Fast forward to now, and they tour the cemetery. Well, so they like that, and then you know Magazine Street, and then some of the celebrity houses and beautiful homes. So it now there is a ton of walking traffic.
0: <laughs> we we say um, have a lot of spirits across the street, and then when you see the cemetery, you'll see it, you'll see more spirits. Exactly,
1: yeah. exactly. Uh,
0: now you're um, when it opened. It, there's some real differences. Um, you've got, well, we'll go to now. You've got 200 employees. Um, there's always a Brennan on duty. And you have what you call gang service.
1: Mm-hmm. Mom started a lot of systems. And that was one of them where, you know, why should, if you and I are at dinner, your food be served and, and, you know, us sit there and stare at each other a few minutes before mine comes. I mean, let's work hard and try to time it and serve it all at the exact same moment. And, so that's what we do, and we serve you from the right with the right hand unless there's some impediment to that so that you're more comfortable because we're always coming at you from the same direction. I mean, we have a lot of things that we're very serious about, and those are you know, almost all created by she and people who work there. that She said, well, that's a good idea. Let's incorporate that.
0: It's really incredible. When you walk into Commanders, and um, I've been going there 30 years you kind of it reminds me of Hello Dolly when <laughs> Dolly walks into the restaurant because all your people line up at the door and they make you feel like you're so important and yeah. famous. Yeah. I mean it's a little intimidating if you're not important and famous, but it's really dramatic.
1: Well, I hate to think of it as intimidating. That's a horrifying thought to me, but it seems like you... No, no, like I'm you, just saying yeah. it's, it's such a surprise yeah. because nobody else treats you well, like that. Well, most restaurants, I, you know, say has the welcome at the door, and I don't mean to be rude, but I'll just say what I say, which is, you know, you have the whatever, a young and experienced person at the door who says, hi, party of two. And it's just, you know, what is that? so we, we we believe in a big welcome and, and, and gracious service. We don't want it to be too much. We want to magically appear and disappear at all the right times. but But why not do that? and And we do. we We try to have you know eye contact, and lots of people welcome you into the restaurant and And it's you keep, important you keep little files on us I we happen do, to know. <laughs> we do and a real maitre d That's a dying thing too. And it's his job or her job to really know who you are and really know lots about you. And you know all that matters.
0: Well, I've brought many guests um, who came to town, very important people, especially in their minds, (laughs) (laughs) and Loyola does not pay a very generous, you know, it's a university So, but as soon as I take them to Commanders, then it's all worth it. Even, especially the people from New York are very impressed, which I feel good about because, you know, they think, oh, well, New Orleans, and really, I think it's... Is as,
1: as wonderful as any
0: place in, this, that I've been in New York.
1: This food town is on fire. But listen, with that Loyola honorarium, you know, keep keep in mind that lunch for about you know, sixteen or eighteen dollars <laughs> for two courses. It's really nice. It's true, and dinner too. We always have packages in the thirties for three courses. So
0: now I know you have the garden room. Yes. And um, but I didn't know about the little room. Ah, tell us about the little room. <laughs>
1: So there were some little rooms at Commander's Palace, and people like to say that it was a brothel. It was not, um, but not to say that it wasn't a discreet restaurant where— um, and Gentlemen could meet. Yes. They they might come up the, the the stairs, which you go up now, were really kind of the back stairs, and they were hidden by a wall. So you could come in on Coliseum Street and go straight upstairs, and you could be upstairs with a— Uh, a lady other than your wife, and your family might be downstairs. And restaurants, good restaurants, are known for being discreet, and Commander's hopefully still is and was. So there were these little rooms, and the little room is is the smallest one left that's still there, but it's perfect for a party of like 2 or 16. We've had lots of people in there having, you know, proposals or many a business meeting. And, I mean, if you knew the business deals that got done in the little room, it's unbelievable. I even heard about one that, you know, was passed along that they kind of made a deal in the little room and the guy followed the other guy into the men's room and kind of finished the deal and like that's way too much information for me but anyway (laughs) Um, well
0: one of my kids had a um, I guess it was a sweet 16 there yeah and um, but that's not in the little room that's just a, a banquet room upstairs
1: well, we we don't have banquets; we have private parties. But uh, private parties. yeah, but we have two other so upstairs. Also, we have the um, coliseum room, which can be divided into two, and that's lovely as well. Yeah. So a couple little spaces for those special occasions, and then we have the patio room. It's like one of my favorites, right off the patio. So I always say it's like dining outside, but with air conditioning. It's really
0: <laughs> lovely. Um, in fact, I will say when I interviewed with Loyola, people said, "You know, what made you pick?" Loyola and come to New Orleans. And I said, they took me to Commander's uh, for the interview. Uh, <laughs> you know, usually if you go to a university, they take you to Denny's or something. Oh, and I said, I'm going to love this place. Well,
1: we love that. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. um, now, you've had several uh, chefs that have gone on and and your mom kind of made them famous. Paul Prudhomme yeah. was maybe the first Local celebrity chef,
1: anyway. One of the first celebrity chefs, period. Uh, Back then, you, you didn't know who the chef was in the kitchen. In some restaurants in New Orleans now, you still don't. But she really disagreed with that, and she thought people should get to know who was in the kitchen and was very, very, very early on in that and pushed it. I remember one time I was in college, and she called up and said, T, they invited me to be on the Johnny Carson show, but I said no, and I convinced them to have Paul Prudhomme on, so watch tonight. So she did things like that that, was unheard of, and along with you know Wolfgang Puck, kind of Paul Prudhomme was the first celebrity chef. But that was Mom, and she's like, "He's perfect for it." He no,
0: can. no, a lot of people don't understand. Uh, you, you're you were a Creole restaurant, and mm-hmm. he's a Cajun, yeah. and a lot of people. Don't understand the difference. Yeah,
1: that's a, that's a shame and this show's not long enough to, des- to describe <laughs> it, as you know, but it it was very different and that was, again, a big ledge she stepped out on to do that. I mean, she didn't think so, but a lot of people really did think she was insane. Well, and they Cajuns, did argue, I have to tell you. Yeah, you know?
0: Cajuns are much spicier and...
1: Um, yeah, you know, more one-pot cooking, uh, you know, um, much less refined, you know, whereas Creole would be a fish with a sauce and, you know, whatnot. And um, but all the same ingredients, you know, it, it's so fascinating to me. I, I, I write about this at length in the commander's kitchen book and think we do a good job of there and explaining those differences, but it's fascinating. But but Paul did want to do, you know, more rustic and, and mom would say, good God, Paul, everything's Brown. Can't we make the plate prettier? You know, and they would fight about these things. He also could care less what the cost was, which, you know, one does have to make a living and we got to be smart about this. So they, they would, you know, a tussle about these things, but in a, in a lovely way and we're, we're lifelong friends.
0: I think you all um, really were responsible for the shortage of redfish because of your blackened
1: redfish. It was Paul. Uh, However, they were in a foodie meeting one day at Commander's, which is a meeting they had that we still have, and you're only allowed to talk about food. And the idea was, and the question always still is, what would be the greatest fish dish in the world? And really a cook walking by, you know, they said, hey, you know, how would you cook fish? And he said, if I went fishing. Of course, I have my black iron skillet with me um, because I'm camping or whatnot. And I would sear it really, really hard, you know, have good seasoning on it and sear it and then just eat it just like that. And uh, they said, well, let's run down to the kitchen and do that. And Paul was like, yeah, I've seen that, you know, all around uh, Louisiana. And so we called it for years seared fish. And then one day when he was on one of the local TV shows, he just blurted out the word blacken, and then it went from there, black the rest and red is fish, history. right? And that poor fish that was a trash fish. I mean, you know, it almost went out of population. I mean, it was just unbelievable. But
0: fished fished out the seas. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Commanders is known for the um, bread pudding souffle. You had had the at Brennan's it had the um,
1: bananas Foster, the bananas yeah.
0: Foster, which was named after again a, a friend, a friend yeah. of yep. Owens, yep. Yeah.
1: He wanted mom to he said, Create a dish for tomorrow night. We're gonna we're honoring our friend Dick Foster, who's the head of the Vice Commission, and my uncle Owen was the vice head of the vice commission, which they thought meant they were in charge of vice. But anyway, <laughs> he was retiring from this very important job and he wanted a dish named after him. Mom said, I don't have time for that. I got no time for that. He said, Well do it or you're fired and anyway, but I asked Foster. Um, so you you serve the bananas Foster
0: and the bananas
1: souffle and the, the uh, bread pudding
0: souffle bread pudding yes. souffle yeah.
1: are kind of your signature desserts. i would maybe. say that and now strawberry shortcake, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which was a Jamie Shannon dish. So it's kind of fun to have all those. And Paul created the um, bread pudding souffle for what we thought was the Commander's hundredth anniversary.
0: <laughs> now Emerald came along after yeah. that, yes, and also brought great um, uh, well. fame. But now he was French Canadian and Portuguese. He was yeah, really. So from, it was a different kind of
1: cookie, yeah. slightly different. Yes, touch. but 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 I remember when they decided to hire him, and he was way too young for them to be doing that, and it was completely nerve wracking. But when he walked in the kitchen, the commanders, and they had given him a little tour, and Mom said, "What do you think?" And he said, "It smells like my mother's kitchen." Oh, and she was sort of fell in love at that moment. She had him. <laughs> he, <laughs> he had her. He had her at home. He had her right there. Um, then you had He's Jamie Shannon. He's magnificent, of course. Well, Jamie was before Emerald, Yes, and yeah. lasted
0: too short. I yeah,
1: mean. my darling, who I did Commander's Kitchen with, and he is uh, luckily uh, in the documentary because some footage we were able to get. He was magnificent. He was chef for twelve years, and just a special guy. You know, very, very, very few dishes never come off the Commander's menu, and one that he did is called Tasso Shrimp Hannikin. and um, but that's a Jamie dish, just you know, exploding with flavor. And, um, he was just a special guy and just, you know, took it to another level and then came Tori, you know, um, after we lost Jamie and he's been a chef 14 years and I'll tell you, he's something else.
0: Now, Katrina really upset you. I mean, uh, financially you had to go, yeah, I didn't realize that you had to really Mm -hmm. gut, yeah, strip down to the gut and took you six million bucks. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. You know, we don't talk about it. Everybody around here stories worse than yours, but yeah, uh, we were closed thirteen months. It did cost six and a half million. You know what it was like. We don't even need to get into details, but you could get drive down Coliseum and see all the way to the kitchen at Commanders. I mean, we had to go, but it really wasn't Katrina. It was really Rita, because the roof came in in a few places in Katrina, and of course we couldn't get in and fix it before Rita. So it was really Rita and the lack of power that did us in. So once it just hurricaneed in Commanders for Hurricane Rita, we were kind of toast.
0: But you brought it back better than ever, 13, took 13 months. Um, Now you had, you mentioned briefly, there's, besides the book, there's a video um, that was made and it's available right now as we tape this on Netflix.
1: Yeah, go figure. So this (laughs) world-class documentary maker makes, wants to make a documentary. My mother didn't want me to do the book, didn't want to do the documentary, but she fell in love with this documentary maker and said, okay. And and lucky for us, um, it, it got done. It, it premiered here in New Orleans at the uh, film festival remember, in, back in and you October. I remember introduced it. Yeah. And so now we we sold it to Netflix. I mean, go figure. But that's wonderful because people can see it whenever they want. And, you know, everybody's in it, you know, that you would think and, and plenty, plenty more. And she she really, Leslie Iwerks, this fabulous filmmaker, you know, just wove this story. And people come out and they say, you know, I cried. I laughed. I, I thought I knew everything. I didn't. And um, it's really it's a love letter to New Orleans. You know, it really is. It's so many people in New Orleans, same story. Just happens to be, you know, from our family and my mom's viewpoint.
0: Well, it's a wonderful story. Uh, You do mention, uh, and Patricia Clarkson is just. I can't believe that.
1: Her voice is so wonderful. We're sitting at dinner one night with some friends, and they're like, well, who's going to do the narration? And one of my friends blurts out, you know, Patricia Clarkson. I go, oh, my God. I mean, she's my age, New Orleans girl. And we're friendly, and so I rang her up, and she she told she told me later, she goes, oh, I thought it was going to be some awful little local schmuggle whatever thing, and of course I was going to have to do it because we're friends. And then she said, you know, when I saw the film, I was like, oh, my God. And for me to get to sit there and watch this fabulous director direct Patty on The Voice, of course, the most fabulous thing is we didn't have to tell her how to pronounce anything. <laughs> right. And then, you know, you really don't even notice her. I mean, and that's what they wanted. They didn't want her fabulous... You know, oh, no. personality she, to she she just outshine. Right in, yeah, yeah. She's just there, doing it. It took a few minutes for me to even realize. I
0: said, "Oh my goodness, that's she,
1: Patricia." She's so special, and uh, we've had some some good times while we worked on this. <laughs> she's a lot of fun. That Patty.
0: You did ask your mom um, very briefly um, something about heaven and who she's going to see in heaven. Yeah,
1: my mom and my aunt Dottie, interestingly, um, they talk about death. Very openly, always have. It's very interesting. Um,
0: she and your aunt Dottie, by the way, live right next door to Commander's. Exactly. People bring their their food. You see this yeah. in the documentary. Yeah. 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 Bring us a fish sandwich. Yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly. It's just cute. And once you've worked as hard as they have, they deserve that. But, um, Anyway, it's just fun stuff. Uh, it really is having them right there. It's but special. she says she she's yes. going to see people in heaven. So there. she's always called it the Saloon in the Sky. And she's like, everybody you love and nobody you don't. And she said, if Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald and Fats P. Shaw aren't there, she's not going. <laughs> and uh, it's just going to be a good time. And there are no hangovers at the Saloon in the Sky.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, uh, one of the local writers who's pretty famous. Um, Walter Isaacson described your book and said, the memoir of the dazzling and delightful Ella Brennan is candid and savory. It's the chronicle of a life well-cooked, well-served, and well-lived. Isn't that lovely? You've been listening to Writers Forum, and we want to thank our guest today, T. Adelaide Martin, author most recently of Miss Ella of Commander's Palace. I'm Sherry Alexander for WRBH.